All right. Okay. Welcome to the Thereafter Podcast, a place where we explore life on the other side of faith change. We're here to break down the binaries, deconstruct the dualities, and wander through what it looks like to live in the gray. In church, we were told that life after leaving would be a bitter wasteland of unfulfilling hedonism, but we've discovered quite the opposite. There's actually a vibrant community of people on the other side of faith who are finding and co-creating space for hope and healing. Come along as we explore the all too often uncharted expanse of evangelicalism, evolving faith, and the life thereafter. It's another episode of the Thereafter Podcast. Megan, welcome to the show. Why, thank you. Welcome to the show yourself, Cortland. (laughs) That's perfect. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's it's almost Valentine's Day. Do you have any big Valentine's Day plans? I do not. Is I that do like not. a big I... holiday for you? <laughs> you know, if it was, it would be an expensive one. <laughs> uh, we try to minimize the Valentine's Day uh, uh, emphasis in the polyamorous community. It's part could of the get, polyamory could handbook. Get, <laughs> could get really expensive and complicated for people real fast. Well, my kids are Although, excited about it. There's there's a running joke that I see on Twitter regularly of like the the restaurant that has the deal where it says bring your wife 10% off, bring your girlfriend 15% off, bring them both and get half off. Oh, that's And people funny. are always like, "Oh, Polly Evers, this is our dream. That's bring, awesome. bring my wife and my girlfriend." Well, I you know, <laughs> it might not be glamorous, but we historically, Papa Murphy's has heart-shaped pizza on Valentine's Day, which is always no kind of a nice, um, just, hey, get some pizza, shaped like a heart. There you go. I had a date with somebody who used to work at Papa Murphy's the other day, and we actually had some pretty good conversation uh, about the fact that my only knowledge of Papa Murphy's was when I was on food stamps. Uh, you could get Papa Murphy's because it was not cooked food. And so that was oh. our... Big splurge on the food stamps we used to, on EBT, we used to get Papa Murphy's when we were, you know, being extravagant. As as the conservatives would say, wasting, uh, you know, taxpayer dollars or something like that. Yeah. Um, Hopefully you didn't buy yes. a birthday cake. Yes. Yeah. I actually saw some discourse about that today on TikTok or something. Really? Somebody complaining about people using EVT to buy steak or something and how it was so offensive yeah. because apparently people uh, on assistance shouldn't eat good food. Kevin Nye has a whole thing about that in his book. I know we always talk about Kevin on the podcast. Yeah, this is this is the Kevin Nye podcast, which happens <laughs> before Twitbits, yes. but uh, after our little intro there. Yeah, we might have talked about it, but he how they served avocado toast one time at the center where he worked because it was like um, this whole thing like w- like people deserve nice things like you why why not you know so um, but yes. should we get into Twitbits? Let's get into it. Let's talk about Twitter. Can I rage? Like, am I? Is that? Are we there? There it is. The drop the, happened. The the little tweet bird thing that happens when we say twit bits. Yeah, it might yeah. have just happened again. I don't know how he's gonna edit this together. I but love yes. it actually. I like the little sound. Um, this is your but, time to rage. 
the fucking revival that's happening in Kentucky right now. Can we talk about that for a minute? We can talk about it. I know very little about it, um, but I have just picked up from what I've read on the Twitter Twitter's first Twitter's first. Okay, Tell me well, about it. what's happening? People can correct me if I get this wrong, but my understanding is people came to some kind of chapel service on Wednesday. Asbury is the university college. It's a seminary or yeah, university. Yeah, in Kentucky, and um, they just stayed and they've been like singing and praying ever since. And I've seen different takes on it, but for a long time, most of the hashtag Asbury—I don't know if I'm saying that right—revival were um, they were all just so like. praiseful and like happy about it. And I was like, hell no. Like I like, no. And I think, let me just give a little bit of context. Cause I always think that when people are deconstructing and something like hits them really deeply, it's because that hits who they used to be really deeply. And, and I bought into that shit for a little while. I was in a small group where it was like prophecy and revival and, and all of that. And I, I, I think, you know, I just started to see it for what it really was. And I think, especially with the election, it was like I had the same people that were speaking quote unquote prophecy and revival say that um, the prophets are saying vote for Trump. And I was just like, fuck no, no, that's bullshit, you know? And so it's like, I just see all of these people getting together with this emotional experience, having this big, big wave and thousands of people now, and then people are coming from other states and I can just see where the hell this is going. And that is, there's going to be some kind of moment, momentum to to do some kind of tide with these thousands of people on board and this emotional, they're not eating. They're saying like, oh, it was dinner time, but look at how many people stayed and didn't eat. It was the Super Bowl. Look at how many people. And I'm like, I wonder how many people are actually like, oh, fuck, this is all the way. It lasted till Sunday and I <laughs> missed the Super Bowl. Like, So I'm just, I, I needed to rage about it because I was like, um, on Twitter, I said a couple things. I was like, you know, show me people that are getting housed and and queer folks flourishing and um, white supremacy being dismantled. And then let's call it a revival. Let's let's not, you know, have this emotional, sleepless, foodless experience and be like, ah, oh, this is amazing. God is moving because it's like, OK. Um, and now Shane Claiborne's talking about it. And of course, Sean Floyd is talking about it. And yeah, yeah I'm over it. The whole thing just like really just like felt like Floydy, very Sean Floydy, mm, yeah. Um, in general, and and I tweeted, I tweeted without knowing a ton about it. I tweeted, uh, you know, uh, next time I have a hundred plus hour manic episode, do I get to call it revival? I had a lot of people in the replies saying like, "Hey, I'm so sorry." I had someone DM me saying, "Oh, I'm sorry that you've had that experience." I and I needed to be more clear that I I was not having a hundred plus hour manic episode. Not that I haven't had manic episodes before um or that uh i'm unaware of what that experience feels like but that's what to me when people talk about these types of things they sound like collective manic episodes it's it is it feels like this psychological phenomena phenomenon of of mania of like we're all just in this moment and feeling this 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 mania it's it, it's just to me i feel like it can't be psychologically healthy and i feel like maybe i'm an asshole um for thinking that but it really doesn't feel healthy it doesn't feel healthy to to say this thing has swept us away and we are not thinking about eating or sleeping or 
doing the any of the things taking care of ourselves we are just swept away in this this emotional moment it doesn't feel i don't feel like there's any way to be able to like kind of package that in a way that's like oh this is healthy this is yeah. this is a manageable healthy you know thing to be experiencing it feels like mania it feels like occultic it feels manipulative well and not to mention like the emotional experience that you can have with music right then movie music and like i tweeted out like hey i'm gonna bring a couple of hundred of my uh, friends and we're gonna listen to ani defranco and and sing and and you know have a feminist revival all night and i was thinking like you and i are gonna go see ani in in march in montana and i'm like hell yeah what are we gonna like like drive a perimeter around the city and claim it for for feminism like what the fuck like i mean you could yeah sure i could do that too we could like spark shit if we wanted to but we we don't because that would be manipulative and and there's like music that's really moving that we that could be the soundtrack to our little movement and i just and i know like people on twitter were like you're kind of being a downer and i'm like i'm sorry but can we look at the reality because these are the fucking people that stormed the Capitol. Can I just, can I, can we name that? Because it, they were, they were the people that said the prophets are saying Trump's really president. We're going to storm the the Capitol because we have the name of Jesus behind us. And I just like, I'm over it. I I can see it. I can see what, where this is going and it, it pisses me off. And I, I swear a lot about it and I'm not going to apologize. Yeah. And, and, and the people like yourself, like the people that have been involved in it, the people who have been swept up in it before. I mean, I was in a cult. Um, you know, you have experience in this particular subculture, the influencers and the people who I know who are like very wrapped up in Bethel and IHOP KC and the various, you know, prayer worship movements. None of the people who have come out the other side and aren't still in the, the, the machine that is, that culture have have had great things to say about their experiences it's very consistent and and as you look at the things that happen in these movements um it's it is it is very clear to see that that there's harm that's caused when people are swept up in these movements it's yeah. not even if there is good that comes from these things I, I can definitely look at good things, quote unquote or air quote, good things that have that have come from harmful environments that I've been in. Um, you know, people maybe getting off drugs or getting sober or people, you know, various different good things happening in their life. But the 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 mass total of experiential output of of functional output of these types of movements is countable and it and it is you know far outweighing in the negative um people being harmed people being manipulated people feeling like you know it it's interesting to me because the tradition I came from that was like Southern Baptist and like hyper controlled um, was there was so much preached and so much taught about like not losing control. And it was kind of the appeal for me when I got into the charismatic movement of, 
oh man, this is so free and people are dancing and people are falling out and like it feels so wild and free and 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 kind of good to let loose. Uh, and it feels kind of weird for me to be, you know, kind of on the other side of it going like, yeah, but like, you know, maybe we should stop and eat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe we should stop and think about what we're doing and let reason guide us and actual, you know, and not this just emotional. I think it's just ripe for abuse. And I think they know, like, you know, it's on a it's on a college campus, it, you know, and so it's like. It, they have their target population. When I was real steeped in this, it was, you know, I preached about this when I was at Grace Point. It was when my we were going through a, a medical journey with my daughter. And so there was all this like healing talk. And so, I mean, it's just like you, you get people in a vulnerable position or in kind of a transition. And then it's like, it's just ripe for that. And, and I do want to say like a shout out to Brad Onishi, Friends of the Pod um, and Straight White American Jesus, because he just did kind of like a mini series within Straight White American Jesus about the new apostolic reformation, I think it's called. And it was really, really well done. I've listened to a couple episodes, but he they really trace the arc of how this kind of charismatic thing got started and 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 also into the insurrection. So I mean, it was like like I think that there is that link, and that's when January sixth is when, you know, like I had to stop listening to all Bethel music and I had to, you know, because and and it was just it, it it really opened my eyes to like, I think I've talked about this on the podcast, but like that Wednesday up to that day, there were quote unquote prophets saying like, this is the right thing. And then on Friday after that, they came back and they were like, we're sorry, you know, we, we were, we got the prophecy wrong and, and everyone's like, oh, you're so humble. And they never once said anything about the impact that it had on Wednesday. Like they never once talked about how, like what they said led people to in the name of whatever go storm the capital and so it was just like it, it was so clear to me like no they're not humble they're, they're realizing that like what they're saying had a little bit more it got a, they got a little bit out of their head uh, uh, whatever <laughs> you know i am with expressions <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, absolutely <laughs> and and i think to one of the one of the the things that gets lobbed against folks like you, folks like I, who are maybe speaking about this, is is that, oh, well, this is just because it's Jesus-y or just because of the Christianity aspect of it. But I think more and more we're seeing, you know, there there is a relatively large docuseries on a, like, sex pleasure cult that was, like, started by somebody that was, like, all about sex pleasure and new age spirituality. And I think it was, I think it was, around orgasms or maybe the female orgasm. I don't remember exactly the basis of what started this cult. Um, there's a docu-series on it. There's, you know, Nexium, which is another cult that we've seen, you know, had multiple docu-series and, and things talked about. Um, various other movements, new age spirituality, sexuality, even, even you know, queer affirming you know, uh, uh, spaces that get this same type of collective, uh, emotional buy-in. 
and they're all damaging. So this is not just about, I I think a lot of times people are like, oh, if it was, you know, a bunch of, you know, queer people having an orgy for a hundred hours straight, you guys would be clapping. And it's like, well, yes, I may want directions. I don't necessarily think that I would be praising any ideology that is using this methodology and using this type of a thing to signify that there is something significant happening because I think it's important for us to stop and think about what's going on and think about balances of power and think about residual harm that might be caused no matter what the ideology is. And so when we talk about things like this, I think it's important to distinguish that we're not just upset because they were praying to Jesus. We're upset because this practice feels like it could be very harmful and damaging. And yes, it's been used by people with an ideology to win people for Jesus, but it's also been used by other groups of people to just as damaging and just as harmful of events. Yeah. No, my issue with this is not Jesus. It's the emotional manipulation. And I was emotionally manipulated by all this shit. So, um, but speaking of Jesus, um, did you see any Super Bowl commercials for Jesus this weekend? Are we going to talk about, I feel like we are, we are, I saw, I saw a tweet from Pastor Trey right before I got on this, this to record. And he had screenshotted what he's muted on Twitter. And it was Asbury. Asbury Revival, he gets us. He there gets us go. campaign. Those are the like the four things that I was all like. All things so. that I've been tweeting about with anyway. rage. He's <laughs> like, maybe did it, did it also say he muted the pursuing life? The pursuing life. I wasn't <laughs> gonna say that one, but no. So Pastor Trey, uh, probably not a listener of the pod here, but uh we love you and we're big listeners of your podcast. Um 100%. Let's talk about it. I did have a tweet that I think will will do well or should do well is that I thought that because they had the pixel. Did you see the pixel erase magic erase feature commercial? Did you watch the Super Bowl? I did. Megan? I did. Ha- I half watched it. I, I watched okay. it up until Rihanna and then I I went and took a bath. After the Rihanna. Google Pixel has has a magic erase feature where you can just like circle something and erase it from your picture. So oh. the idea is like, oh, there's the dog got in the picture and you wanted to get the dog out because it was in the yeah. background or like yeah. some random dude is in your like, you know, uh, vacation photos. You can just like erase that background person. And I tweeted, I said it would it was a great, like a total miss that they should have done the He Gets Us campaign and the magic erase um, yes. and shown Jesus magic erasing Judas out of all the pre-resurrection uh, photos. <laughs> just like Jesus, just after he, you know, gets up out of the tomb and he's just erasing Judas out of all the pictures. That's that would amazing. have been relatable. I would have been like, Jesus, he gets us. Yeah. He's petty. Yes. Just like me. Yeah. And um Shout out to Transvangelical because uh, she had a bunch of great, like that whole day yesterday was just kind of um, rolling with like, I, gosh, I wish I could think of one. Um, but she was just, yeah, just had a ton of like, he gets us, like he, he drank at weddings, he gets us. And like, I, oh, I, yeah. I can't remember. Jesus got boners he didn't want and had to be like, <laughs> oh no. This is me yeah. pretending to have a boner and waddling for the listeners. Um, anyway, he gets us. But can we just say that, like, I don't know, if if I had a $100 million to spend to represent, like, what Jesus was all about, maybe I wouldn't use that on a Super Bowl ad? Yeah, I mean, it's self, it's padding, it's 
it's patting themselves on the back is what this is. And I think the more important thing to talk about is that the money that was funding that is funding that campaign is also funding all kinds of awful things. Um, yeah. There was a lot of people who were talking about the links between the big money that was funding the He Gets Us campaign and funding anti-trans legislation and various other really horrific things um, that are be done, being done um, to promote conservative ideals uh, and limit access to abortion, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, it's just, to me, it's just laughable. It's just like, dude, I don't, I like, I, I don't necessarily take the approach of like, you shouldn't spend this money because like I, you're going to spend your money on stupid shit. Like Fair. your priorities Fair. are bad. Yeah. You're going, you're going to, you guys are, you in general, the people funding this, like they're, they're not going to spend their money. Like, look at how much money comes into the evangelical church in the U S on a yearly basis. It's yeah. tons of fucking money. And they have historically spent their money on tons of things that are dumb. My bigger critique is like, who do you think this is like, who's watching the Super Bowl and be like, well, fuck. Yeah, I guess I'm a Christian now. Like, <laughs> Who, who, he fucking gets us. I, like, it feels like a really ineffective use of money, even if you're trying to get people to, like, get with your idea about Jesus. You know On top of the fact done? that it's not feeding people or clothing people, but, like, I don't expect them to do that shit anyway. They should have done a Jesus bowl, like the puppy bowl, because... It, I, I mean, I that was effective because all of those animals were adoptable and my kids were on the – they kept posting the website. My kids were on the website. They were like, Mom, this puppy's in Portland. Like, I feel like we could just go get it. Like, it was like two hours of marketing for – you know, like that's what – that's what they should have done if they wanted to promote Jesus. Like, I, The I mean, Jesus Bowl. There should have been like a hotline. <laughs> we could have hacked into it. If you really want to know <laughs> what deconstruction is. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that he gets us campaign. I feel like it's just, to me, it's a total miss. And, and it brings up another thing that I, that I saw on Twitter this last week. That's the Keller center. Did you see mm. anything about the Keller center? A little bit. Talk about it. Uh, the gospel coalition did a big rollout for the Keller center, Tim Keller. They're, they're creating this, center uh to curate content podcasts a, a new apologetics movement essentially um and the whole kind of video campaign was like basically saying like hey it used to be that when we were evangelizing people had these base level assumptions about god about evil you know etc and so evangelism was easy you were just connecting the dots between these things Universally, people believed in a God. Universally, belie people believed in evil. Uh, and so even if someone wasn't a Christian, you could say like, hey, here's a God. You've been bad. You know, connecting the dots and winning people to Christ through this, you know, lens of Christendom that we had before. And now we're in this post-Christian world and we need a new uh, level of apologetics to be able to convince people of Jesus and Christianity. Um and, and, you know, the, the, the thing that was humorous to me was like, like basically the, what, what was said in the announcement was basically like, we are not taking any of the concerns brought up by this new movement of exvangelicals or deconstructionists or whatever as anything but a threat 
to to basically just counter. Um, and so my tweet and my take was like their first point of it was like closing the back door. We need to close the back door uh, and not let people keep, you know, escaping yeah. Christianity. Uh, and I and I tweeted, I was like, when the building's on fire and you're worried more worried about closing the back door than putting out the fire, your priorities are fucked up. Spot like on. because yep. you are ignoring the fact that they, there's a problem. People are not going out the back door just cause the door's open. They're they're going out the back door because they're getting burned inside. And so yeah. like why don't we take all this money that we're using to try to keep people Christian and make people Christian and like make it so that people don't get so harmed in our Christianity. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was my take on, on the Keller center and, and new apologists in general, which I just, again, I feel like the way that they talk, they, I don't know who they're winning. I don't know who is like, consuming this content you're you're either like totally bought in and you're a fan of the content they're making or you are uh going like oh that's silly and you're moving on i don't know that they're making any content that's winning people over okay but confession time like keller somebody again that i hate extra because i bought into him extra when i was evangelical you know what i mean so it's like I do like because I think he had this whole like not progressive, but like a little bit more like aware of things, you know, and it was just intellectual. Like I definitely yeah. think Tim Keller comes off as a theologically well-informed individual yeah. and to most Christians. Dabbled in social justice a bit, you know, and so I was like, huh. And and then, you know, at the end of the day, it's like you again feel peel back the curtain and you're like, nope, this is just like a new version of the same old thing. <laughs> this is just yeah, all the same white theologians saying all the same thing in a new way, maybe, but same old thing. And to me, like, I think that there is a way, like there are people doing Christian work and theological work that does make me like, oh man, maybe I want to get back in the game. You know, maybe we'll really? give this Jesus thing another shot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think there are season four. Corlin started <laughs> planning a church. <laughs> <laughs> I think there there are people, there are Christian people doing Christian work that is compelling to me. Yeah, yeah. As a person, um, and I wish that 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 Christians, like kind of as a whole, were more concerned with doing compelling work than they were with trying to keep people from being deceived by the evil gaze or the, you know, uh, you know, I can't think of another word other than evil, the big bad TikTokers who are confusing right. the innocent youth. Um, I just like, like, give me something to buy it. Like, I can't think off the top of my head, the names like Dan McCallan is a, is a name. I mean, he's in the LDS church, not in the evangelical church. And he is, I believe at this point now, not with the LDS church anymore, um, but has been up until this point a employed by the LDS church. He's been making content that's really enriching and interesting to me. Um, and there's another creator that does a lot of stuff or interacts a lot with Dan on TikTok. And he's a uh, Bible 
scholar and theologian, Christian guy, and he makes content that I'm like, oh, this is interesting content. I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. You're a Christian person. I mean, we talk about Tim from New Evangelicals. We talk about uh, uh, Mason Meninga, who's like, you know, still in the JC crew at the moment. Uh, he's making content that I really like and yeah. and want to support. Uh, yeah, no, we're not writing off everybody just because they're Christian. I mean, I still loosely identify as progressive Christian. Um, should we get into the episode? It is time to get it's into time. the interview Let's with uh, Jennifer C. Martin. Uh, I'm really excited that Always we got to have her on the podcast. We get to talk a little bit about polyamory. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. And uh, she is just... Like, I feel like we could have recorded 10 episodes with her. So uh, there's so much more to cover with her. And I think she'll be one of those guests we definitely bring back on at some point um, to talk about other things. But until then, yep. let's get into this one. Let's get into it. I'm, I'm so excited to be here and to have Jennifer here, our guest, say hello. Hi, everybody. I am so excited to be on this podcast. I was like for a very long time, like longing to be on your podcast. And now it's finally happening. Oh, all for right. For a very long time, we've been longing for you to be on this <laughs> exactly, podcast. Right? So the like, feeling is so mutual. So true. We And we got to hang out last year. Uh, we ended up in the same place in the world and got to hang out a little bit. And so you were I the feel first like we're person old friends. who said hi to me. Yeah. I recognize you right away. You, I didn't know... <laughs> Uh, a ton of other people who were there because a lot of people who were there were kind of in a in, in a, a side of of Christianity that I'm not as familiar with anymore since I've deconverted, and so you were like a face that I was like, oh, this is a person who I know. <laughs> and, I was uh, very excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. Megan's here as well. <laughs> Megan, welcome to the show. Yes. Hi. Sorry. No, you're good. A lot. <laughs> no, let's dive in. Let's do it. Uh, tell us a little bit of your background. Uh, usually we start with like asking for, you know, a little bit of your origin story in terms of, you know, did you grow up in faith? What type of faith? And then maybe how that's transitioned into maybe where you're at now, since the kind of the ethos of the podcast is faith change, evolution, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, you know, like all the podcasts that are going around these days. <laughs> so yeah, tell us, were you born into this thing or what? Um, I was definitely born into a very conservative Pentecostal family. I lived in Cleveland, Tennessee. That city is the headquarters of Church of God International. Wow. Um, yeah, my grandfather worked at Lee University where me and all of my family has graduated from. It's the Church of God charismatic affiliated college, also in Cleveland, Tennessee. And so I was just raised in a very, like, conservative environment. It wasn't, like, Duggar's Fundy or anything, like, but it was very, like, conservative and very conservative politically, even, almost even more so than religiously. It was, like, co politically conservative, especially, like, my family. And um, I, you know, you know, I ended up moving around a lot. My dad kept getting jobs. So, like, at age 10, I started moving around a lot. And I remember, like, being 11 and in middle school for the first time and meeting, like, a Jewish person for the first time, meeting a Catholic person for the first time, meeting a Mormon person for the first time. It blew my mind because, like, where I lived, there were, like, two religions. It was, like, Baptist and Church of God. And I was like, <laughs> Baptists are so different from me. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like all evangelical Christians all the way. Um, and it, and just like in that, along with the internet, it was just getting exposed to more mindset, more like, I guess you would say secular concepts, but I still identified as pretty conservative. I ended up going to the same Christian college that all of my other family went to. And, um, I met my husband, Daniel, when I was 18 and we were engaged at 19 and we were married at 20, which was very, very Jesus. common. Yep. Uh, yeah. I knew tons of people who got married at like 20, 21, 19 even. Yeah. Like, yeah, I say Jesus, like I say, like, it's shocking. I met my wife at 18, uh, 17. <laughs> I met my wife at 17 I, and I, I got like engaged at 19 and married at 20. Yeah, and your prefrontal cortex so, yeah. isn't even developed, fully developed until you're nope. 23. And it just is mind-blowing when when you make life commitments before that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. My had, wife was a little older than me, and we didn't have drinking at our wedding, of course, because we were conservative. Oh, oh, God. I couldn't even entertain yeah. it. I wasn't even 21, so. Yeah, and I wasn't 21 <laughs> either. But then we went on our honeymoon, which was like we stayed two nights in a hotel, like downtown. That was our honeymoon because we were broke and worked for a church. But I – Crystal, my wife, I had her buy us booze on our honeymoon. Oh my god! <laughs> and I was twenty, you know drinking because I was like, "I'm married, man. I can do this. It's fine." Yeah, no, uh, I tried to get alcohol on our honeymoon, but we were both still twenty. We got married in August. Then Daniel turned twenty-one in October, and he went. We had to because they didn't sell alcohol in, or liquor in Cleveland, Tennessee. You had to go all the way into Oodlewa, which is near Chattanooga, to get liquor. And we had a bunch of like Christians who had never been drunk before in their lives at my house. Like, and they were, everybody was getting like, nobody had any control. Nobody had any moderation. Somebody threw up in my sink. Like somebody oh, came man. out as gay. Like it was drama. It was wild. Because this like Daniel like was the reality show. Sounds like a yeah. good party, to be honest. It was crazy. And, and like, because we were married, we were adults. We lived off campus. You know, if you were caught drinking on campus, you'd be in big trouble. Okay. So you guys got married. You were both going to Lee, got married, moved yeah. off campus, but finished school, both of you, oh, as yeah. a couple. Oh, yeah. And then I graduated a semester early because I took a bunch of AP classes in high school. And... Then I found out a month after I graduated, December 2009, that I was pregnant. Wow. wow. Yeah. And so then I had my child, who is now 12. And then a few years later, I had a – that he was not planned. I just, I just had this conversation with them. I was like, well, you weren't planned. And they were like, what do you mean planned? <laughs> I was like – and then I had to explain, well, I was not trying to be pregnant. And then I became pregnant. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then I wanted my kids to be two, two and a half years apart, which because me and my sister were. So then I had my youngest when he, uh, a few weeks before I turned 25. So I had both of my kids before I turned 25. They are now 12 and 9. Um, okay. okay. And then, and you know, I was just trying to be this really, really good evangelical wife and Christian, but I was becoming a lot more progressive as time goes on. Like, I... I was always like feeling like like the church's stance on homosexuality was wrong. Like I had so many gay I had gay friends in high school and then I was like I knew myself was bisexual. I even wrote it in a life journal when I was 14. I was like I think I'm bisexual and my mom found that life journal post and then I had to delete the life journal. Of course. So. 
Yeah. Cool. And so then I was like, well, I'll never pursue that in my life. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, uh, so anyway, yeah, I was just married trying, I was going to, to the Pentecostal church I was raised in every Sunday, bringing my kids to church. I got them dedicated. You know what dedicated is. It's for when you don't believe in infant baptism, but you still want, you know, attention. Uh-huh. You, so. exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's the ceremony. You want the pomp and the circumstance. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and then I was just becoming like it was. Just, I was more and more uncomfortable at the church. I was more and more uncomfortable with conservative politics. Cleveland, Tennessee, is a very conservative town, and so we started looking for jobs elsewhere. And Daniel found a job in Richmond, Virginia, and I thought that it would be. And I we accepted because I was so desperate to get out of the small town conservative vibe. And I thought that we would be able to like go go and like start our own like more progressive life right away. But actually, the place he got hired at was it was a Christian school. It required that we go to the church, and it was assemblies of God, and it was even more conservative than my church. My church was like bigger, had like five hundred, six hundred people. Like so, they had the main. They had almost like a, you know, not a mega church, but it had like a feel where it's like they try to seem more acceptable on the outside whereas this was like a fifth like maybe a 20 person church so they okay. had no holds barred at yeah. all their preaching was insane really weird and so then daniel had this major surgery um he had like Hirschsprung's disease growing up and he had to have this like reversal and like I don't want to talk about it because it'll be gross on your podcast, but he had this major intestinal surgery. And then when he was finally out of the hospital after like six weeks of like recovery and stuff, um, I took an Instagram video of him. He was finally able to go outside and grill for the first time, able to keep down food. And he, I took a little Instagram video of him like using the grill to pop off the cap of a beer and like drink it. And he got fired for that. Wow. No and I was and I was like, yep. And that is when not even like I didn't have like I had already been deconstructing this whole time. I was just trapped in a conservative church. I was posting all this like and, and to be honest with you, they probably didn't fire Daniel for the beer. They probably fired him because of me because I was nonstop posting like liberal theology things. I was getting into Rachel Held Evans. I was like just nonstop posting like why Christians should be friends with LGBTQ people and support it politically. And I think that's probably the real reason they fired him. Right. Like, because I was antagonistic and I hated going to that church. The beer was just the smoking gun. (laughs) Right. And then the next week we went to a United church of Christ church saying, I'll even say it. Like if people want to come to my church, they can come to my church. It's like me and old people and that's it. St. John's awesome. United Church of Christ in Richmond, and I've never looked back. And I've what a jump! A... Like you yeah, just jumped the straight. The next fucking week. Yeah, yeah, just you were straight out of the like twenty-person weird super conservative <laughs> church, and you were like, "No, we're gonna go to like the most open-minded, totally progressive, yeah, other end of the spectrum." It was a big sell for me. They were having like a family week. The pastor was a woman. There were gay couples there. There was trans people there. I was like, "Yep." I'm like, I was like, this is what it always should have been like, right? And I love um, that. So, and so, so I was, few people do that type of a jump. Yeah. Like, it's usually <laughs> so slow. It's like, oh, we'll go to, like, the 
milk toast mega church for a little while and then maybe go to yeah, a like progressive no. liturgical church. But yeah, I love I love you. You're like, fuck it, we're going I all had the way. been I'd been so desperate already for like liberal theology that I couldn't make myself do a half ass like yeah. like I had to I was like, what's the most progressive church? Like that's still Christian. Because I couldn't go as far as universalist. <laughs> I was I was like, I need a little bit of Jesus, you know? So yeah. Well, and I was going to ask that because it, for you, it w- was it ever an option to not go to church? Because like, that's just a conversation that we sometimes have here where it's like, what, what kept you in where you're like, okay, I still do want to go to church, but just not something like that. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I was just visiting the church the first week and just meeting all the people I like, liked them immediately. It was like one of those like instant connection, love at first sight things, but like yeah. for, for like older people in a mainline Protestant, ancient German built church, like my, my church is a historical site. Like I had never been in a church like that where they care, like, you know, evangelical churches don't care about what the history of their building or whatever. And, um, it was. It just seemed really magical to me, and I had been already researching it so much, and I just knew that this was it. I was like, this is the sort of things I've been reading about from Rachel Held Evans and uh, who else was I following at the time? More like the the oh, like Rob Bell, like the 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 pathway the into the pathway <laughs> into uh, progressive Christianity. Anyone and, John Piper would say farewell to. Yeah, and like I. I just wanted my kids mostly. That was why church attendance has always been so important to me. One, I'm a big believer in community, which I'll get to in relation to polyamory in a, in a minute. And I wanted my kids to see, and like I was afraid, like they were getting to the point, how old were they when I started going to this other church? Maybe like seven and four or maybe six and three. And I wanted my church, I, I wanted my kids to be like, okay, this is what Christianity is, not the other stuff. Like they're, they like have been most of their lives now in this progressive church. Cause I didn't want them to grow up. Like I didn't believe in hell when I was going to the conservative church. I like, and I was thinking like, my kids are going to learn about this and it's going to traumatize them the way it traumatizes me or tra- yeah. it still traumatizes me sometimes. So yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that that is, there's a huge piece for me like so I deconverted I left I'm not in it at all and having my kiddo like I think that there's something to what you're saying about like giving them that experience of something that is beautiful and pure and like like holistic and and not toxic in terms of like their relationship with religion is something that like my kid you know I have you know had conversations we'll talk about stuff And there are these moments where he'll say something like, oh, you know, he was talking about a friend of his and, you know, we were talking about like, you never know who might, who might be gay or what might people might be into. And he was like, well, I know this friend of mine is not gay because he's Christian. And I was like, oh, you can, you can be gay and Christian. (laughs) Like my, my son has grown up because we are Mm. an atheist household, kind of assuming that the worst aspects of Christianity are Mm. what Christianity are. Um, and so correcting that has been a process. And I think that yeah. what you're saying is a really important piece and something that I've even had to think about lately as a parent. Yeah, my my kids were shocked. I had to explain to them. I was like, so like I had a grandmother that disowned me for being polyamorous. And like 
I had to tell my kids about it, and which was a really hard thing to do because it like affected them. And like, I'm like, this is why we're not going to, Cle to back to Cleveland anymore. We just go to Nashville to see, that's where my parents live now. And I was like, they think that we're, that we're sinning because I have t multiple partners. And they were like, what's, how is it a sin? They couldn't even comprehend it. I was like, they think, you know, that, pe that people who sin, they like have hell, but we don't believe that. And we believe this and this and this. Like it was, they honestly couldn't even comprehend that Christians were, were like, could believe that We're stuff and I was like yeah. I would and I was like not only do they believe that stuff I was like we're in the minority yeah <laughs> we're in the vast minority like or the unvast minority I guess I should say yeah yeah but yeah, yeah so uh, about a few months after I started going to this new church I started like I had always struggled a little bit. I married so young. I was really flirty online. I was really like into sexy. I never cheated on Daniel. Never, never like entertained it. The worst I did was like sexed. I like to, I, I was a little bit of an exhibitionist and I remember I sent someone a picture of my boobs and then I told Daniel immediately. I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what came over me. Like, and he was a little mad, but like, not really. Like, I guess, like, other guys would have been furious because I, but like, I don't know. And so then I started having more feelings. I was like, gosh, you know, I knew I was bisexual. Um, but then I just felt like not only, and it's one thing to be like attracted and flirting to other people and then being like, well, I'm married. I can't do anything about that. You know, have a stop. But it was one thing that I was like, I would get crushes on people and then I couldn't get them out of my head. Like, had nothing to do with sex. I would be like, falling in having this entire like love affair in my head with how obsessed I was with this a specific person and then eventually it would go away or something but then like I just thought you know then I just got another one of those crushes and I didn't pursue it but I went I I was this is a horrible thing I mean I feel like it went about as well as it could have gone, but generally maybe don't do it when you're spending a romantic night with your spouse. So I'm spending <laughs> a romantic night with my spouse. It's okay, Christmas. Yeah. yeah, it's Christmas. Set We're back the, in Tennessee. And like somebody else has the kids for the first time in forever because we live in Virginia at the time with like now we have Ty and we just always have somebody with the kids. But like at the time, it was almost impossible for me and Daniel to spend time alone together. Um, cause we don't have any relatives in Richmond, Virginia. We didn't have any very many friends at the time either. And so I was like, Daniel, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do monogamy for the rest of my life. I had never heard the word polyamory before, but I had looked up like open marriages and stuff like that. And I didn't know, like, if you had told me then me having this initial exploratory conversation with Daniel to like me having lived with my two partners now for three years, I never would have thought that. That's not what it, like I thought would happen at all. But yeah, and so Daniel was first like, like, what if you won't love me anymore? Like typical stuff like that. And, you know, lots of people, if you go to the Reddit board for the polyamory board on Reddit, they're always like, they're always like against it. They're like, don't be in a relationship. You should just end the relationship. And, you know, people like people talk a lot about how people unsuccessfully open their marriages, you know, like that they fail or like one person's pressuring the other into it or whatever and that nobody really wants it. And, and it's just looked on kind of negatively. 
And um, and one person was like, you could have, you should have known that before you agreed to be in a monogamous marriage with someone. I was like, how? Do you think I had this access to like other fucking polyamorous people in my life? Do you think I ever met anyone who was openly in an open relationship ever the most i'd heard of a non-monogamy was that i remembered watching an episode of that 70s show where they went to a swingers party and then they decided not to go through with it yeah. like that was it like i had heard of swingers and it was what you know it was what weird middle class people did in the 70s that's what i thought i well i want to pause in there too because there's a friends episode where um Chandler is dating a woman that's married and also has another partner. And, and the reaction to that with among, like the conversation among all the friends is like, why would anybody ever do that? And I think like when it comes to conversations about polyamory, it's not just conservative religious spaces that you're pushing yes. back against. It's society as a whole. Yes. And just like as somebody that I had a career in education, the conversations around families that had relationship structures that people weren't used to seeing was so it was it was not very inclusive I will say and so there was just a lot of in the similar vein of like the friends episode a lot of like why would somebody do that or what you know and so I I see that in these conversations is like like I guess my question would be um when it comes to that like do you feel because it like when it comes to pushing back just on society as a whole, what are some ways that you're able to kind of, cause you live very openly and you're, you yes. know, with, with the relationship structure that you have and, and have you come up against that and how do you handle that? Yeah. And yeah. you're right. It's not just like Christians, like obviously Christians are mad at it, but like they're mad at lots of things. So they're but especially it's always, mad so it's when almost, it works. They want, they want to yeah. see it. <laughs> like, like why, like this should not be working so well. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I've come from pushback from like people I thought were like liberal people who weren't religious people who are like, Oh, how can your kids be in that? Will they be raised in a, in a bad home? Like, like people who are like, this is anti-feminist or like, or like, uh, this is just like, unst- like, I, like I had been open about my struggles with mental illness too. They're like, Oh, this is like just an obvious like symptom of mental illness that you're seeking attention or something. And it's like, like, what do you think now? I've been with the, I've been with this one, I've been with one partner for five years and I'm still married to Daniel. And you think like, if I, like, I could easily leave Daniel, Daniel could easily leave me and we would have like other support systems for each other. And we've chosen not to do that. So yeah. probably we're still really in love with each other. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and so I want to, I want to talk a, a little bit about like kind of the, the myth busting. When we were talking to Brian G. Murphy on, on, we talked a little bit on the episode, but we talked more in like a clubhouse room that we did uh, with him and, and talking about like, sometimes I feel like polyamorous people like are like so busy myth busting and like so busy talking about like all the objections that we don't talk about all the beautiful parts. And so I yeah. want to get to the beautiful, like, like cool parts of being polyamorous. But I think that it is important at the beginning, you were kind of talking about like people talk about opening a marriage and like it never works and it's always problematic. And that was obviously not your experience, not my experience either as somebody who yeah. was married, monogamous and am now polyamorous and happy uh, and it's working super well. So let's jump back to that a little bit and then maybe talk about some of the pushback 
and you know how you would yeah. you know address it okay so the positive parts of polyamory yeah well okay. jump kind of back to like where you were with kind of the origin story of you guys opening things oh, up okay and then we'll move into the positive parts okay. towards the end okay um, I, anyway, I talked to Daniel and he just shared like normal concerns. Like he wasn't, he didn't immediately say like, no, like I possess you and own you. You're mine. I refuse to let anybody ever touch your lips or enter your vagina or anything like that. It was never, Daniel has never been a possessive man. Daniel has always been kind and gentle and that's why I married him. He's, and he just wanted to be sure that I still had devotion to him and like that, like we didn't ha have any expectations of each other, what it would look like. And so we went really slowly into it. We like read books. We went to counseling. We started attending the Virginia Polyamory group. Um, I like started having like an online relationship with what I like I would call my first polyamorous boyfriend. Um, and he is still my very good friend to this day. The relationship did not work out. It was his first polyamorous relationship too, but we are still like, he's still one of my best friends. And Daniel actually went on a date with somebody new, like a real date instead of online like me, uh, with someone before I did like, and did the first, you know, everything like kiss, sex, all of that before me. Okay. And, um, I think it was 2016, Christmas 2016 is when I had the conversation with Daniel and, oh no, it was December 2015. And then it was 2016 where we were ex slowly gearing up to explore polyamory. And, um, if it, like at first, like the first couple years or so, we didn't date like like, I guess Daniel dated a couple of single girls, but the, it was never very serious. Um, I tended to have focus on, like, one serious relationship at a time. And then I, you know, being raised in such a purity culture environment, I also tested, like, hookups and, like, meeting guys up, like, trying different things out that I had never explored before in my life. Um, I, before Daniel, I'd had sex with one person, my high school boyfriend, um... And then I remember confessing to Daniel that I wasn't a virgin. <laughs> like, I was like, are you mad? And he was like, no, that's exciting. Wait, he didn't see the ghost of your um, past relationship, like, following yeah. you around, like we're told no. happens in yeah. parody culture. He was no. like, wait, there's only three quarters of a heart in here. <laughs> Sorry. Because you gave a piece yeah. of heart away. No, um, and then, like, and then I had sex with Daniel when we started dating, but, and this is some really crazy Christian fucked up lo logic, when we got engaged, we decided to stop having sex, I spent half of that time doing a semester in Europe, so it didn't, like, matter, but we decided not to have sex for the entire engagement period, so we were born-again virgins. Nice, nice. Did yeah. It, was it worth it? Was, like, when you got back together, you were like, it was this is different. It was like, I mean, I had had sex before, so I wasn't, like, scared. I feel like if you really wait to have sex on your wedding night, you're a little bit scared. I wasn't scared, but it was it was pretty fun after the waiting period. Not going to yeah. lie. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I, but my first sex was on my wedding night, and, yeah, it was terrifying. But I I, I also, like, am not, like, a, a hyper, like, I'm not very allosexual. I'm, like, pretty great. Right. So, like... For, I'm the for, opposite. <laughs> yeah, for me, like sex is sex is great, but I'm like, can we get to the cuddling, please? Like that's that's what I like to do. <laughs> that's cute. 
That's cute. No, like I've always wondered like how people wait. Like I don't not no judgment at all. I think like ultimately I don't care. People do what they are comfortable with sexually. But like I have always wondered how people really do like wait till their wedding day. But yeah. I like I, I don't tr- think very I, many people do. Like I yeah. like and and I think honestly like the way like my sexuality like the way because like I'm like able to right like I like yeah. I'm polyamorous and an atheist so like I should be having sex with according to like my parents or other conservative people like I should be fucking everything that I possibly yeah my can. parents definitely think that I do yeah <laughs> and. <laughs> And the thing for me is I we've had this conversation. I don't know if we had it on this podcast or if it was another podcast Megan and I were on, but talking about how I think the for some people the the obsession with penetrative heterosexual sex and this like huge pedestal that we put it on in Christianity like makes sometimes people miss out on like all yeah. the other aspects of sex and sexuality and touch and affection and erotic Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big advocate for giving permission to people to like fool around with their partners if and like even if they're not going to have sex because I feel like yeah. I think a lot of get, Christians do that. People get married beforehand. and they think they're just supposed to get, cut to the chase and have sex and they forget about like, oh, there's other things like you can you don't have to do that. You can still do the stuff you were doing when you weren't allowed to have sex if you want because that can be fun. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to bring up Reddit again, but I stalk the Christian marriage board on Reddit. I'm that's the board that I'm banned from. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, are you back on there? Do you have a secret Reddit? I saw that you were banned. Like life. Like, I'm time, banned. I like, can't no. comment anymore. I can only upvote and downvote. Um, but like. I would say probably 40, 30% of the posts on there are like, we waited till marriage and now our sex life is bad because of XYZ reasons. And I'm like, it happens. Yeah. yeah. Should at least like, you should at least like, f- like if you're not going to fool around, you should at least talk about it. Like, like have an intense, like, like be able to have like, do you like this? And like, you shouldn't be knowledgeable. I don't know. Yeah. I feel sorry for them. Because yeah, I think the only reason that I was able to do it is because, like, looking back, like, I genuinely enjoy all that other shit way more. So, yeah. like, even now, I'm like, yeah, let's just fool around and not have sex. Uh, and I think that I was just so happy doing that. I was, like, made for purity culture. Like, I was made for this, like, everything. <laughs> well, congrats but... on you for succeeding. Yeah. I, mean... I was not made for purity culture. But, no, it's become you become obsessed <laughs> with penetration because it's, like, I remember in, in my Christian college, everybody was trying to not fuck. Like, mm-hmm. that was the thing. And so, like, I knew, like, a girl who was, like, I'll never forget. I'm not going to say their names because they'll get mad. But, like, in my friend group, we were all close. And this was a close, tight-knit friend group. And we all got drunk at somebody's house one night. This I was married to Daniel. And at a certain level, they were getting drunker than, like, I was going to get that night. And, like, we had to drive home. So, like, we hopped out. The next day, my friend calls me. And she's, like, this is what happened. She's, like, me and her were in bed with him and I was like like and I had never I wasn't polyamory at that point so I'd never heard of anything like that and they were just like all three of them were like making out and stuff and then one of them who was engaged at the time that's when she was like no I can't stay here like I'm doing bad stuff I have to leave and then the other one he like (laughs) he was like uh yeah and then I put it in and I just came and and so I eventually asked him, I was like, so you had sex with, with her? And he was like, no, it didn't count. But because I came, I, you know, I went and I got her plan B the next day. And I'm like, if you buy plan B for somebody, you're not a fucking virgin anymore. 
<laughs> we held hands and then took plan B just in case. You just never know. <laughs> yeah, and so wow. <laughs> I know. And so like I think the obsession with penetration comes from just being like it's the one thing you can't do. Everything else is a gray zone for like the modern Christian evangelical. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, like I, uh, so I tried lots of different sex things. I um, had sex with women in threesomes and alone, and it was fun. I had a girlfriend for a while. That was my only bad breakup is the, the serious girlfriend I had. I'm friends with literally everybody else I've dated. Um, and then, you know, I, but I was primarily dating people who like also had what I would call primary relationships. You know, mm. they were just like other polyamorous people. So there's never an expectation like, oh, one day we're going to live together. Like, no, it's like we're going to be married to our person and have our families. And then we're going to hook up and go on dates and have fun, maybe go on vacations together. And like, that's what our lives are going to be like. Oh, and then I met Ty <laughs> in, um, when did I meet Ty? I think 2018, early 2018. And he had just gotten out of a serious relationship. And I don't know, like, I have these gut feelings about people when I meet them and I know that I'm going to fall in love with them. Is that crazy? No. No, I, I get do. It. Like, and, and it almost makes it hard for me. Like, I can, I can sometimes do fun uh, platonic sex things still, but only rarely. Um, it's And pretty much only with people who I know are going to be chill afterwards, going to be cool, are already polyamorous, like aren't going to be like, but I cannot just do random hookups because of like, I have to have like this intense emotional connection. But if I do have that intense emotional connection, like, oh, then I'm just like, I fall in love like really quick. And so that's what happened with me and Ty. And Ty had just gotten out of a relationship and he was single though. Like I had never had this serious of a partner who didn't have another partner. Um, and for a while, like, like things were just like, re they were casual for him more than me. I was just like head over hill obsessed in love with him. And, and we were dating. And then I just realized slowly that he wasn't dating anybody else besides me. Like he was like, Oh, I'm Polly too. But he, like, I think for the first, like, year and a half that we were together, he only hooked up with an ex, and that's it. Like, as far as, like, outside of our relationship. And it was just, like, at a certain point we were dating, and we took things really slow, which was hard for me because I am just, like, a fall hard and fast kind of person. But, like, it's a good thing that we went slow because of the implications of what it would mean for our family in the future which is that he would come over and he got really close to our kids in a way my other partners hadn't and he and that Daniel's other partners hadn't and he was really getting involved with our lives in this deep way that he actively wanted to come to kids things he actively wanted to come to birthday parties he actively wanted to be at our house for things for like dinners every weekend rather than you know just like oh I'm here to pick up Jennifer or like you know, I'm here to hang out at this party event yeah. or I'm just here to spend the night and then like leave awkwardly in the morning. Like it, it was just becoming such a different vibe. And, um, th and then we just like, it was to the point that he was like living with us, like at our house every like weekend that it turned into like three days where he would just go to work from our house. 
and he was good friends with Daniel, and the kids were really attached to him. He was starting to watch our kids. Um, like, when me and Daniel would go out, even. He was, like, our go-to babysitter. And then, like, eventually, like, we had some money stuff going on, and I just, like, we, me and Ty were just, like, sitting there and talking, and we were like, I don't think we ever want to be apart, right? Like, I can't marry you. I'm married. You know, and I can't have kids. This is a fun fact. Hopefully it's not TMI. But Daniel got a vasectomy after I had my youngest kid. And then when I became polyamorous, I also got my tubes tied. Because, like, even though I am extremely pro-choice, I am very scared of getting pregnant and then not, and then, like, I don't know. Does anybody yeah. else have that? Like, yeah. I guess yeah. it's just this, yeah. I, I uh, like, I was just so afraid of, um, being pregnant and I was like I don't want to have anybody else's baby and I yeah. didn't want to have more than two kids anyway um, I, I mean I grew up terrified of pregnancy like I was I yeah. was you joked earlier about like the plan b like like I was definitely that kid that had bad sex education and was like so yeah. scared if we were like wait your pants were off I don't know yeah. did something happen who knows what could have happened are you yeah. pregnant or do I have you know an STD I, I was so scared of like the consequences of sex I in was general scared too I was uh, like so yeah can relate. I was and then like at the time you know when I first became polyamorous I was like exclusively dating people who were in primary relationships with other people so I was like if I get pregnant with this person's baby I'm gonna ruin their fucking life and like like and now I think you know if I did have a baby with Ty it would be fine and normal I mean from like a, a like an emotional standpoint not like the practical financial one like two kids is good it's yeah. wonderful to be in a house where the adults outnumber the children Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is like, it is the a night and day difference. I am constantly asking myself how two parent or one parent families do anything with multiple yeah. kids. So, I want to I want to back up and just cover in terms of you talk about the slow process and and I talk about this too when I'm having conversations with people who are maybe talking about opening up or exploring yeah. polyamory or feeling polyamorous like for me i i know there's a lot of discourse about like is it an orientation is it a choice yeah. and, you know all that sort of stuff and i think i don't know maybe not really a, a helpful conversation but for me i definitely feel like i'm inclined to deeply connect emotionally romantically with multiple people that's me too always how i felt never had language for it same and so early on in our process, I was like, I need to identify this way. Even when we had like agreement set up where we weren't practicing, like we weren't right. exploring, we weren't dating. We, we like, we literally had an agreement that we wouldn't like have like physical affection beyond like hugs and hands, like hugs and handshakes. Yeah. <laughs> but I still was like, I still want to call myself polyamorous because it, it really expresses how I feel. Yeah. Even though I'm I have those agreements in place and that's okay to not, be practicing and still yeah. identify as that i think gatekeeping language is weird and i don't know why poly and kink people do it but and they do it a lot but like like i think it's important and i think i would actually rather more people identify as polyamorous and like not worry about oh am i polyamorous enough you know it'll be like the bisexual thing like it makes it easier for bisexual people to come out it makes it easier to be part of the community it makes it easier to just say like okay well i'm you know, I'm bisexual and I'm monogamous and I'm married to a man or a woman, um, but 
I feel this way and I, it's normal for other people to feel this way. And then maybe they find the love of their life of a same or different gender. So, yeah. So, so for you along this process, when you talk about the slow kind of, you know, journey that you and Daniel went on, uh, you know, what were some of the maybe big elements that you guys came up against that like if other people are listening and going through this process that you were like oh okay here were kind of big transition points obviously you're kind of moving up towards this you know moving in and having time move in that's obviously a big one but there's probably a few other ones before that too I'll tell you like I didn't everybody ask about jealousy but I've never really been a jealous person like I'm trying to think if there are things like sometimes I get jealous if people go to a restaurant with their partner, but another person that I wanted to go to and not me. And then if somebody watches a show that we were supposed to watch together, then that's fucking like the that's like what to other people having sex is like uh, outside the marriage to me. Like you watched yeah. an episode of that without me. I haven't even watched it yet. Like and Daniel and Ty won't e- wouldn't even dream of doing it now because they know how mad I would get. Okay. But, like, I- I, I want you to like continue on with Cortland asked, but I also feel like there's a good place to insert the whole concept of compersion because Cortland has talked about that yeah. a lot. And I feel like that, oh, yeah. that understanding of that word has been mind blowing. And as I've had conversations with people that aren't in the polyamorous world that like they're like not, they've never heard that word before. And so can you guys dive into yes. that for a minute? And you should, we should use it for friends and all exactly. kinds of relationships in my opinion too. No, I definitely experienced compression. And in fact, I wrote a little tiny story for it for the New York Times once, which is like one of the best parts is not like, oh, I get to have multiple partners and do all these freaky sex things. But like watching other people fall in love with Daniel or uh, Ty for the same reasons I love them is extraordinarily validating. It is like, yes, you get it somebody who understands what how great this person is like hell yes like and it's like, like when you meet a person who loves the same movie or band yeah, that's exactly what it's like it's the same feeling like people know that feeling be like oh my god you love this too and i love this and there's a bond there's like yeah a um uh, daniel has been dating one girl for over a year now and like I was standoffish because I was afraid, I'm always afraid that like, cause I'm like a, such an intense person that like sometimes his girlfriends have not liked me and I'm like, I'm just going to be like standoffish and stay out of this. But eventually she like messaged me. She's like, I just want to be your friend so bad. And she, and she just like loves Daniel so much. And she's like, thank you for like, and like, thank you. Like whenever she's like, thank you for not texting Daniel during our anniversary dinner. Thank you for letting him stay with me this weekend and have these memories with me. And it's really nice. And like my mom thinks that Dan, so like everybody in my life, like they love Ty now. So it's not like that they hate him, right? Like they, they have to accept like this. There's like everybody that I have successful relationships with is a very chill dude, like a a very chill dude like currently I only have male partners but of all of them they're chill dudes like type B personalities all the way because I'm yeah. not 
And even and if you dated a girl, <laughs> she'd probably be a chill dude, I would guess. Yeah, no, I was thinking, yeah. I was like, well, I'm not dating her, but there's this girl that I hook up with sometimes. She lives a little far, but she is also just like the, do you know who, who she reminds me of is Fortune Feimster, the comedian. It's like chill Southern lesbian. Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and like so that's the sort of people that I'm attracted to and so you can't find things to hate about Tyre Daniel um, but like so my but my mom is convinced that Daniel doesn't want to be polyamorous despite the fact that this man has had a lot of fun and has a serious girlfriend too he just doesn't post about it that's it he's not very online like I am um, yeah. and so my mom thinks you know that Daniel's just going along with it that he's being tortured whatever and, but the other day, Ty, Ty like kissed my forehead and was like, you're so sweet. And Daniel was looking in the doorway and he's like, you guys are so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and that's compression. <laughs> yeah. And my, and, and I just feel bad because I'm sure my, because my mom, especially just is like, I saw Daniel have a sad look when you kissed Ty at my house. And I'm like, are you kidding? He sees me kiss Ty a million times a day. He's been like. He's uh, Ty sees me kiss him. Nobody yeah. cares. They they're immune. To, if they're like immune, like it's nothing. It's like like you, you think and, that they would be dealing with complete misery each day of their lives. Have you had Have you had moments for you know for yourself for Daniel for the dynamics with Ty, whatever it might be? Like, have you had moments where you've had to talk about negative like feelings or negative emotions or jealousy hmm. or things like that? I mean, you said yourself. You're not a super uh, Daniel person, but... once Daniel once was like, you guys don't have, you guys have shows together and we don't have shows together because you don't like the things that I like. And so now me and Daniel have been watching through Columbo together and I don't watch it with Ty. I only watch it with Daniel. And like, and just like, but I'm a very, like my number one cliche polyamory trait is Google Calendar. And so I have everything on Google Calendar constantly. And I, I am so obsessed with like this invisible equity of like things that I keep in my head. It's almost like a negative that I keep such track of it. I, Cause like I shouldn't be doing it this much that I'm like, Oh, well, you know, I'm like, I had sex with this person. So now I have sex with the other person now. <laughs> like, and like, I, I've actually been trying to keep myself from not tallying that in my head. But like famously my bed arrangement is that I sleep two days with Daniel, two days with Ty back and forth forever. And I'm hoping in the next house that I have my own room and they switch to me because I have insomnia and shit. So like, um, yeah, it's like little things like that are like the struggles of polyamory or like, you know, inconsistent sleep. Like the bed I have with Daniel is a million times more comfortable than Ty's bed, for instance. So yeah. And I have this little basket of like face cream and oils and my book and like lotion and hair tie and stuff that I bring from room to room. So I love it. I love it. Yeah. They're well, very practical things. Yeah. Go ahead, Megan. Well, I was just going to say like this kind of lends me to like one of the things that I feel like just having become really close with Cortland and like learning so much about non-monogamy and like, I feel like there's so much that monogamous folks can learn from, from non-monogamous folks about like being so intentional about your relationship and being intentional about conversations. And, and like that conversation that you had with Daniel, like, Hey, like, I want to have a show together and like, Hey, like, yeah. this is how, and I feel like 
non-monogamous folks are so much more authentic and honest about their, you know, how they view their relationships, even platonic relationships. And I feel like monogamous folks just are like, it's black or white. Like there's us and then there's friends and there's nothing in between. And so I feel like there's so much people can learn about just the the conversations that you have about the intentionality about your relationship, all of your relationships, whether they're romantic relationships, whether they're platonic relationships. And I'm just, do you, do you see that? Is that something that you're like, okay, yeah, we do have this like ultra level of intention about the way that we communicate. For sure. And I think like, I would say, I wouldn't say it's the only big thing between like people who blow up their lives with polyamory versus people who like enjoy it and like continue to engage in polyamory relationships and identify that way is like the ability to communicate. Like I went through a Mm. ton of fucking therapy right as I was like, I had switched churches. I was becoming polyamorous and I was going through intensive therapy at the same time to learn like to be a better communicator and you all want to know the scariest thing about be- like starting to become de- polyamorous was not jealousy like it was dating in general i had only dated like in high school one person and then in college one person who i married i didn't know how to date anybody like and i was like i didn't know what expectations of romantic relationships were i didn't know it how to like talk to people properly i only knew how to talk to daniel and daniel is really like chill like i said and like passive so not everybody is like that other people have strong opinions on things like there's room for clashes and so it's just like dating in general was hard for me that's what i was just like like whenever other people are like, ah, uh, me and my wife are considering polyamory. We've been raised really conservative Christian. I'm always like, listen, like I, I give the typical polyamory advice that you can Google everywhere, but the Christian polyamory advice that I would give people is specifically about just like learn to date, like learn about dating in general. Just go on a date, like take it slow learn each other and like it's gonna be hard to date and you don't need to be discouraged because guess what you're polyamorous you're dating more people you're gonna break up with me more people I have been and I am very bad at breakups I would say probably that's the hardest part of polyamory to me not not negative emotions with my existent partners not conflict in my polyamorous relationships but getting dumped and it's good and 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 when I date more people it's gonna continue to happen and yeah. um, and it has happened. There's been three particularly devastating breakups. Others were chiller or maybe I initiated them so they weren't as devastating. But um, yeah, it's hard. And it's hard also. And also breaking up with people is hard. Being the breakup, it's like, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to ghost somebody. I have ghosted people before, but I think it's j- typically nicer to not especially yeah. if you've like had sex and stuff like that. There's also there's also just like a like a, a plethora of like monogamous breakup excuses that you don't get to use anymore. You can't yes. be like I want to date other people and it's like oh fuck I already do that. No, um, it, you really have to be uh, like we're not you have to be honest. You have to be like yeah, we're not compatible. You have to be honest. I'm not feeling this. It's hard. Yes. Yeah. Like dating uh, is hard and I feel so I feel sorry for single people too now. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, uh, to Megan's point, just like, like people think that I had a bad experience with monogamy, but like, no, like I was happily monogamous with Daniel, mostly successfully monogamous with Daniel other than sexting. 
Uh, my parents are madly in love with each other, almost like codependent. My sister is in a happy monogamous relationship and not interested in polyamory, but supportive. She's probably the best monogamous ally in my life is my sister. And like, I like my dad sends me photos of my mom. Like this is queen B. Her name is Bethany. She's like, he's like, look how pretty she is. Like he's obsessed with her. No, I don't hate monogamy. And like, I think that it's really beautiful for some people. I will say the one monogamous thing, which I think will annoy Megan also, um, is that I hate when I hear people being weird, like with opposite sex friendships. I'm like, well, what about non-binary people? What about like, yep. I'm like, why, like, do you, like, why be this controlling and possessive over it? Do you think like, and what if you're bi? Like that I'm bisexual I mean, polyamorous. Nobody can be friends with me. Yeah, that's what yeah. we, as like, <laughs> just after I came out as bi, that's, the, we did a whole episode about, um, actually, I don't even know if we were out when we did the episode on the Billy Graham, or if I was out when I did, we did the episode on the Billy Graham rule, but we did have that conversation because it's like, then what? <laughs> yeah. 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 And also, and also like, like the, the standard for fidelity is completely individual and unique yes. and personal and yes and and i see this on both sides we got into this little conversation on twitter you and i jennifer like uh a few weeks ago oh yeah because and it was it it, it like kind of coincided with something else that i had tweeted too about how like i i think that there's oftentimes gatekeeping in all sides of monogamy, non-monogamy, and all the various different yeah. types of non-monogamy um, about, like, you know, and you see this in queerness, too, uh, in, in the queer community, people gatekeeping. You know, I've, I've had so many people oh, be like, yeah. you're pansexual, and I'm like, I, that's fine. Like, if you don't call me that, like, I'm bisexual. Like, but you can, you know, pants, pants fine, gay. You want to call me a lesbian? I don't really care. Like, <laughs> I know how I feel. Like, that bi is the word that works for me. But, I, I, when I met, I met somebody who, uh, was a good friend of mine and him and his husband were like, we're monogamous. We don't understand non-monogamy. And then like told me the story about this threesome they had and how wonderful it was. And they were like, yeah, but we're monogamous. Like we had a threesome together once because it was an experience that we had and we might do that again, but we're, and I like, I'm not going to gatekeep. They want to call that monogamy. That's their version of monogamy. I guess so. I, I know other monogamous couples that they're in a throuple with the guy's motorcycle. Like I know that, <laughs> that is the third partner it, that, it, he, you know, that motorcycle gets all this attention that like some of my partners don't get. Um, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we don't have to like rig rigorously define it for everybody. You get to define it for yourself. That's the beauty of alternate relationship yeah. structures. Yes. I, I feel like, for a while, I thought that maybe I was like, have you heard the term polyfidelity? I went through a period where I wasn't dating anyone other than Daniel or Ty. And I was like, I think I'm happy like this. I think I could just be them two for the rest of my life. And then, of course, I met somebody else. And I was like, oh. And like, also, I also have no, I would never, I don't, I personally do not make agreements with my partners about what they're allowed to do or how they're allowed to date or anything like that. Like, I'm a big, like, the way I practice polyamory is a lot of like personal autonomy um 
the only like vetoes that I would even have or whatever are like coming around my kids. Like if I thought somebody was bad and, and like, I don't want to be around them, but if I thought someone was like dangerous then I wouldn't want them around my children or in my house, but like, I'm not going to be like, you can't date them or anything like that. Yeah. Well, and um, I think yeah. too, um, Oh, just... and safe sex stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And ob- yeah obviously. Yeah. And, and honesty, like yeah. that's, you know, required. I I think it's important because when you said like the way that I practice polyamory, I think it's important to note that everybody's relationship structure, even within polyamory looks very different and there's, it's not prescriptive. And so that's something that I don't, I don't know if, if monogamous folks, um, realize that it's like, it's so, it's such a wide spectrum of like, you know, the way that people practice. Yeah, there's everybody has different rules. Some people just like to like hook up with other people occasionally, like open marriage and like don't ask, don't tell, like they never know. Some people only do group stuff together, like that's the only format that they have. Um, I've always been like date separately kind of person. And that started like a lot of people, you know, they make fun of like the unicorn hunter. So it's like, oh, we're a married couple looking for a bisexual girl to join us. Yeah, Um, annoyed already. I could never do that because. I know it is annoying, but like I never could even entertain that even when I was a dumb, young, naive polyamorous person because I didn't have anyone to watch my kids to go on a date with Daniel. Daniel and I had to date separately, so somebody else was at home with kids. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. And 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 not to not to uh like I have my personal like annoyances at certain people in the non-monogamous yeah. community, like swingers. Like I just like if someone is a swinger, oftentimes like I'm just like I don't know if we're gonna be friends. Um, <laughs> that's just that's just based on personal experience. And I'm open. Maybe I'll meet a swinger and I'll we'll hit it off and be good friends. But you know, it's it is okay to have that nuance and variance between different people who do things differently and still have an acceptance for as long as it's being done ethically. Yeah. And above board, you know, we can yeah. we can support each other. Honesty and communication. I don't see how that could be if everybody is being honest and open with each other. And another thing is that, like, there are a lot of people who repress feelings that they have negatively about polyamory in order to please their other polyamorous partner. And that doesn't work out, does it? Like, you, when I say you have to be honest, I don't mean just, like, I mean, like, you have to be say hard things. And a lot of people struggle really i'm surprised because i grew up in a family where every it was too much the other way everybody was too loud everybody was too aggressive everybody was too open and like saying whatever they thought so it's always surprising for me to find people who are like have all of these intense feelings and don't share them with your partner yeah yeah like monogamous or polyamorous it's just like how are you gonna be happy if you don't say this like, how are you going to be happy? Nothing will change if you don't say anything. Polyamory gave me the freedom to be more honest about my insecurities than I ever felt in monogamy. Uh, like, because there is a sense of safety. Like, I like for some reason, it feels safer to to, yeah. to be like, hey, I'm this is I'm scared about this um in the context that I'm in now than I ever felt in in monogamy and it's just been my experience well and I think there's something to be said about like being able to be inside a relationship where you're able to say whatever without without fear because I think that the fear holds you back from from saying a number of things and I think that 
uh, what I have found in in my friends that are polyamorous is that there is that liberation to be able to have all of the conversations and not have the fear of like what's going to happen if we talk about this or what's going to it's like no we've we've talked about that we like there's not going to be anything that's going to be like oh you put that on the table like uh, that's a deal yes. breaker no we've like we've worked through that we've had that conversation so oh yeah um I have talked about so many things and like I have irrational emotions sometimes like I think everybody does but like and I know that I can express them safely to Ty and Daniel and that they won't a make me feel bad and b they also won't necessarily be compelled to change their behavior they're just sit there and let me listen to my insecurities and then I'll say, okay. And then I'll, you know, I just feel better. Like, oh, you know, I was insecure about this earlier today, you know, or like, just like, that's how you move through. If you can talk about insecurities, I think you can move past before getting like, before it turns into just like jealousy and then worse if it turns into resentment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Preach reach we are we are we are getting towards the end i feel like we could this could be a four-hour episode yeah um <laughs> no doubt uh i want you to talk a little bit about the work that you're doing your writing uh okay. are you still doing the baking only fans i i am um i am going to put a beignet recipe up soon but no i okay. haven't been so i i lost my easy fun job that was so easy and took almost no time at all last July and now I'm having a real big person job where I have to write um do you know what affiliate marketing is that's my that's my day gig yeah okay. that's the put the food on the table job um and so I immediately ran into a lot less time like because now I have to actually do lots of work each day uh both of my kids began hobbies I have one who's taken piano uh one who's doing drama club and in a play right now. Um, and so I'm trying to get back into doing it more. I will be posting beignets because I just went to New Orleans and I ate beignets every day that I was there. Okay, cool. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm going to make this when I make this more when I get home. So I'm going to post a beignets. Um, I have the Dirtbag Christian Substack, which has not been updated in a while, but I'm coming out with a post literally later Tomorrow, I, I'm gonna say tomorrow. I don't think I'll do it tonight. It'll be this out by the time it won't be out. Yeah, yeah. Weeks, so yeah, it'll be out. But when this episode comes out, that are that will be updated. And then I have been writing a little bit at um, Insider. I <laughs> Insider, and um, I was recently interviewed by Today Parents uh, with the with another polyamorous family. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I've been having to focus a lot on my other job, but I will also be back at Wild Goose Festival. Awesome. Nice. Awesome. And then you're you're around the web at your not your really. Handle. Yes, everywhere Instagram, um, even the Facebook page, but I don't update it very much. And Twitter, not really JCM. Sorry in advance for my Twitter. Um, it's just really raunchy, really opinionated. Uh, I come from a like I I had a I had a lot of online in formative years, so I have like this troll personality on Twitter. But I promise I'm very nice in and uh, real life in real life. And um, 
Yeah, I pretty much have like ADHD online that I flip from like one thing to a, the next all the time. But you can find out all of the things I'm up to at jenniferccmartin.com. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Ty. He made me that website as like a project for his class. He's getting his uh, degree in software engineering. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes. Love when the schoolwork uh, is able to help out a friend That's or partner. Uh, yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we will post all those things in the show notes and I think it would be super fun to have you come back on and talk about more things because there's so many things that uh that you oh can talk God. about I love talking to you guys it's it's, it's awesome. always and a blast ho- yeah it's fun hopefully we'll get to hang out maybe at Wild Goose maybe somewhere else uh yeah yep. we're we're gonna meet up and do something I am always in, in Richmond Virginia and I almost never leave my house so <laughs> I love that. If I come your way to run a half marathon, I will uh, reach out. Yes. And bring Cortland with you. Yes. <laughs> thousand percent. Awesome. All right. Well, we will uh, end here and say until the next time when you return to be a return guest here on Thereafter. Thanks so much for spending time with us, Jennifer. Thank you for having me on. All right. That was great. It was. Uh, She's so delightful. She really is. It was a great interview. I. It was a great intro that we did to this uh, interview that I, from the beginning of the intro, was like, I'm going to keep it short. <laughs> and then we rambled for a really long time. So hopefully people who really wanted to get into the interview skipped ahead. Do you think <laughs> that people rambling. listening to Thereafter, just, you know, we've been recording for a while. We'll give you a little bit of a bonus um behind the scenes do you think behind people realize scenes. that we record our intro and then we pause and then we just say what a great interview without having without listening without to the having actually it. listened like we, to the interview and then I we, mean, we listened it all to together. it once it's, because yeah, we no, did it we're, we're in the interview but then cody splices it all together and it sounds like we it all, we all just listen together. together yeah yeah i know I know. Yeah. I, I do think that people pick up on it. Yeah. No, really? I thought, I think we've had them going all this time and we're just, now they're like, wait, like they're driving in traffic right you now. Just, listening. Like, you wait just pulled second. the curtain back. Yeah. They're you know, like, Wait, Megan and Courtney weren't sitting there listening to that entire episode yeah. during that time. Um, well, since Who's we had to say that we weren't though, intro, we could have been, we could have been, um, I think we should wrap Let's do it. Where can people find you on the internet, Megan? I am at The Pursuing Life on all the socials. Um, Thereafter podcast on Instagram, Thereafter pod on Twitter, and always open to people that want to join the Deconstruction Book Club. We're reading Damon Garcia's The God Who Riots right now. Damon's going to come zoom in with us for that discussion. So even if you don't get it finished, it's, I think, February 26th is the day. It's a Sunday um, at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We always have our deconstruction coffee hour at 6 a.m. Pacific time on Tuesday mornings on Twitter. And um, we have the Thereafter Discord. Where can people find you, Cortland? Yeah. And you can also join the Patreon, patreon.com slash thereafterpod. Uh, if you want to you know, throw some bucks at us to keep this whole train rolling, yes, uh, people can find me on Instagram at Cortland Coffee, on Twitter at Cortland Coffee. Uh, and all, all the other, uh, all, all the other spaces. Them all. Yeah. At Cortland coffee. Uh, Astronaut, I'm the only one space out game. there. Yeah. 
MySpace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Space A, MySpace, Pinterest. Uh, there's some new ones. I post.news, Tumblr. Okay Cupid. Uh, okay Cupid. No, yeah. I am on Okay Cupid. Cupid. I am on OkCupid for the moment, although I'm going to delete the dating app soon. I think I'm dating apped out uh, yeah. at this point. So if you're looking to match with me, hit me up on Twitter. <laughs> I <laughs> still want to date you. Back to the source. You just got to get me on Twitter. So, uh, yeah, that's all I have. Go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's not very many people do that. I know. Yeah. I say I'm going to do it all the time, and then I don't do it for podcasts I love. But... When uh, when I do, I know it makes a difference. And if you would do that, that would be super cool. We would be happy about it. Hey, I'll tell you what. I'm going to do a bonus giveaway. If somebody wants to leave us a review, tweet at us, and we will send you a book written by somebody that is a previous guest on Thereafter. We can, we can discuss yeah. it. And if multiple people leave reviews, we'll um, shake you up and have a drawing. Cool, yeah. I just did that for... Uh, um, Brad Onishi's book so we'll have to pick somebody else other than Brad because I just unless we want to well, give another copy of Brad Onishi's choose. book like away. go through our guests and, and you know choose I like, like that alright yeah. alright we'll do that's it that's kind of cool contest. you got a big a library giveaway. to choose from I know I, I think we gave All away right. Naked Pastor's book um, recently so well, okay. until next time, everybody, we will be back here and please connect with us on all those places that we just said. Yeah. Until then. Until the next time. <laughs>